Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, Dan Dickow here. Today's episode of the ISO features my interview with Georgia Tech assistant men's basketball coach Eric Reveno, who helped spearhead the all-vote, no-play campaign on Twitter, lobbying the NCAA to designate Election Day as a day off for student-athletes. A quick update. After we recorded, the NCAA Board of Governors and President Mark Emmert released a statement encouraging all member schools to designate November 3, the day of the U.S. presidential election, as well as major national and local races, as a day off. Reveno responded to the news on Twitter. He said, quote, I appreciate this is a step in the right direction. However, we need to move beyond a recommendation. We need to act. The NCA needs to act. We need all vote, no play in the rule books. Our players' children need to feel the results of our actions. End quote. To read more, we've linked a story with more information in the show notes. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. The number one podcast network for professionals. Welcome back to another episode of the ISO with Dan Dickow and Scorebook Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network. Today's guest, somebody who I got to know a few years back while he was a, a very good head coach in the West Coast Conference at the University of Portland. He is currently an assistant at Georgia Tech. He's got a tremendous initiative going right now uh, due to everything that's going on in our country. All vote, no play. Um, want to touch on that as well as his coaching path uh, during our conversation. Georgia Tech assistant coach Eric Reveno. Coach, nice to reconnect. Hopefully life is good in Atlanta for you these days. Life is good. I'm very grateful. You know, um, good to be here, Dan. I always uh, My Northwest connections for 10 years were uh, very much appreciate a lot of great people a lot of great interactions i really enjoyed it uh atlanta's been good and, and life here is good i think uh interesting thing uh the the pandemic and the the shelter in place stuff going on really a nice time to reflect and count your blessings and i got a lot of quality time uh, maybe not always to her you know excitement my daughter uh 18 year old daughter, you know, and, but just quality time. She doesn't have her license yet. So teaching her how to drive and my, uh, my 15 year old son's a little, little, uh, you know, he, he's going through growing up and what his role of his dad was and stuff like that. And so spending time with them and my wife and just a family piece has been really good. And then, um, the George Floyd stuff hits and, and then all of a sudden we're, you know, you start questioning things. It's just been, it's been a wild summer. The summer of 2020 is uh, not going to be uh, forgotten anytime soon. There's been a number of milestones that people will look back and remember over the course of this year, whether it's the unfortunate passing of Kobe Bryant earlier this year to the pandemic that we're all continuing to work through. Then the George Floyd disgusting incident, obviously the awakening and revival of talking about a number of important things in this country. I've been very impressed with so many people being out there speaking from the heart and talking about the importance of everybody knowing issues and everybody getting out there and voting and sharing your opinions and making your voice matter. And you have done that uh, in a tremendous way in the college uh, athletic world. Um, right off the bat, you were kind of a proponent of, of taking November 3rd off with an all vote, no play 
um, initiative. How did that come about in your mind? And what are the important aspects of this that, that you've really started to get out, get out in front on? It was interesting for me, even looking back, I, you know, I, my first sort of call to action to make the NCAA uh, have a mandatory day off on federal elections was uh, June 2nd on Tuesday. And, and since then, so why, why was my mind in that place where I was, saw with such clarity that this had to be done and this made the most sense? It was so simple and so powerful, you know, just a simple idea that has taken off. And, uh, but, but for me, you know, just watching the protests, watching the news, and then coming into it, as I said, like with a play coming from the, the pandemic reflection and where we're at and just trying to do more and get involved and help. Um, coaches are guys of action, you know, coaches like to do something, you know, and, and so I was, I had that mindset. I wanted to do something. I, and, uh, we had, um, we had, uh, a, a zoom call on Monday night, June 1st, and we had a zoom call and we, uh, uh, met as a team and we talked about it and they went around the room and they said, you know, how are you feeling? Every two, two, two words describe how you're feeling. And a lot of it was heavy heart, uh, frustrated, sad, uh, you know, uh, annoyed, angry, you know, and there was some optimism stuff, young group, you know how it is a college campus. I mean, you know, it's great being around college guys and players and team because the optimism and the energy and the youth that wasn't dead, I was saying, but it was, it was shaken. And it got to my turn to talk. And I said, my two words are embarrassed and disgusted. And I had a hard time getting it out. And, and I get emotional just thinking about it. I had a hard time saying it because for me, and it, it, as a 54-year-old white guy, and looking at these guys, my role, as a, my life as a coach is to help these guys be better. You know, and two weeks earlier, I had a Zoom call with the 2010 pilot team. That was very good. And, and we had a Zoom reunion, 10-year reunion. It was awesome. And these guys and their lives and how well they're doing and how – and a lot of things to really feel great about. Um, with that team with Luke Sigma and TJ uh, Campbell and Kramer Knutson and Jared Stoll, and I could go on forever, Ethan Niedermeyer, and, you know, who's a district attorney in Oakland – or not district, or prosecutor. And so, but these guys, then juxtaposed a couple weeks later, the, the current guys and their heavy hearts and everything, I just felt like, what are we doing to, what have we done in my lifetime to move things along? What's going to keep the conversation? What's going to fix this? And I know that I have had my heart in the right place on these subjects my whole life. I know I have been an ally and an advocate, but what have I really done? What have I acted on? Have I done anything? Did I, did I do that extra step? And I probably did. Did I vote regularly? The simple task, did I vote regularly? You know, and just sort of engage. Was I engaged in local issues that impact these things? Was I, and I wasn't, because I was trying to win games and influence a group right here. And, and, and what we talk about here at Georgia Tech is being in the huddle, the huddle, the metaphor for basketball. I mean, you could think of your team experiences where, you know, the diversity and the mix of guys, there's nothing better. I mean, NBA is amazing with all the international guys and just the melting pot that it is where guys, un, unsuspecting guys become friends. And, and it's just beautiful. And you start to think that's the way the world is. And you may not listen to the fact what happens to those guys when they go home or how their experience is different. So I was hitting the head with all that. I was hitting the head 
And right after I spoke, Malachi Rice, a player on our team, said, what bothers me, Malachi said, is that people will protest and make a lot of noise, and then they don't get out and vote. They don't vote. And so I went to bed with a heavy heart after this meeting and, and woke up the next day. And I said, we got to get them voting. It's, it's not that hard. We got to get them voting. Or maybe it is hard, but it doesn't matter. We got to get them voting. We can make a difference. Every athletic department has life skills programs. It's called life skills program. And you have, and it, you get NCAA money for it. You get, uh, you get, you got your financial literacy, uh, mental, mental wellness, which we've done fabulous work in. That's huge stuff. I and mean, that's a big progress area nutrition, um, recovery, um, you know, and we really protect the at-risk students through this, this education and, and support and just help everyone learn the skills for life. And I'm like, why don't we do civic responsibility? Why don't we do civic engagement? Why don't we, what are we doing there? And the, so I looked up the data and the, the, I looked up the, went to the U.S. Census data and I saw that voter participation for 18 to 24 year olds has been on a steady decline since I was born in 1966. Wow. And, and I was like, I'm going to, the NCAA can change that. There's 460,000 NCAA athletes, division one, two, and three. And so by taking a day off, by taking a day off, we can, we can, we can impact that. You know, we have to do the, we have to do the registration. We have to do all these other things, but getting this date on the books. So I think the election of 2020, is going to be okay. And I think it's going to be okay in terms of participation and people getting out. If we don't get out now, then boy, we're in trouble. You know, people are like, everyone's been slapped around a little bit. People are going to engage a little bit more. But what about two years from now, four years from now, six years from now? I want it on the book so we can change that trend. So that's where I came from. And I I tweeted it out and it got a lot of steam. The the Northwest Connection, really, um, I made a few calls right away. Uh, Trent Johnson, uh, former Stanford assistant, and or head coach, we were assistants together. I called him, talked at length about him. He kind of encouraged me. Then I called Mark Few, and Mark Few jumped on it. I mean, he was great. I should pull up the text of what he said. God, it was a great set. Like classic Few. I'm going to share this one now for the first time. For the first time. So I call Few, and he's like, he's all fired up. And I said, Well, who should I call? What can I do? And he's like, Rev, I got this. It's a simple idea. I got it. So I said, coach, okay, but yeah, give me some, I was all gung ho. I'm going to work the phones. I'm going to get this done. And he said, he's not much for the the BS and the bureaucracy of things. He said, (laughs) you know, is that, is that an understatement there? You think? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So he's like, I mean, luckily I didn't, luckily I caught him. He might, he didn't have his cell phone for 80% of the day probably, but I caught him and he, uh, he said, Rev, I, Rev, I got this. And I was like, okay. Um, and I asked again, and he said, I got this. And so his support, because he knows, because he moves in those circles more than I do. I mean, number one ranking, where he's at right now, what I love about him is how he's, he's still the same person. You know, he'd rather, and he, he had, uh, there was, we were, we were getting wind of someone pushing back. Um, um, someone, some, uh, uh, oh, this is worth it. He, so someone was pushing back. You get the NCAA bureaucracy. Someone's pushing back, and I, and I said, they're having someone. So and so is having cold feet. I won't out them here in the conversation, but someone's having cold feet. He said, and this is your Northwest wisdom for you. He said, cold feet is never an issue for me, whether it's in this movement or standing in a stream in a January chasing steelhead. <laughs> so, 
So that, I mean, that is that is classic coach few, that's for sure. And and I commend you for for starting, you know, the initiative and really putting a lot more attention to it. Um, and, and you're right in, in regards to coach few, you know, I can look back on my time as a as a player there and he always uh, looked at everybody on that team as equals and he always talked <laughs> about everybody on that team and equal as equals um, and treated people that way. And the other thing that I remember is, you know, you mentioned him saying, I got this. He would encourage us 20 years ago to vote. You know, um, it wasn't to the point where, you know, we were holding hands and we were making sure that we were uh, registered to vote, but he would always make it a point uh, to talk about, Hey guys, this is uh, this is very important for, for our country. This is very important for our state, our communities. And it's important for you guys to know how the, the, the process of, of voting works. And so he would That's always great. encourage us to do that. Um, but I, I, I think it's been fabulous what you've done in, in those regards. You know, I want to shift now to basketball um, because that's how we got connected. That's how um, you have gained this platform to start this initiative. At what point in your playing career did you think that you wanted to go down the path of being a coach where that you could have an impact on other young men chasing their dreams? Early on. And, but I, I, it's a little more complicated than that. Early on, I, I wanted to be a coach when I was in college. And, um, and I, I wanted to people, I had had coaches in my, in my life, my high school coach, um, at Menlo school, Al Klein. Um, then I worked out with Menlo college, a coach by the name of Bud Presley, uh, worked out at a place called Gary Rikus, who'd be your, your, your weight training guy nowadays, but really a special place, Rikus Center, Menlo park and worked with them. And then, um, uh, Bud Presley and then, you know, even Bud Presley, um, which said the Menlo College coach. I worked out with them and uh, and, and JC at the time at the over when I used to work out with him. I don't know what the rules were, but we used to work out when I was a junior in high school. And Jeff Van Gundy transferred from Yale. He transferred from Yale to Menlo College to work with Bud Presley because he was such a great coach. So he's probably the only Yale to Menlo College transfer there's been. But uh, working with them and so, but I coach. I had great coaches in my life that helped me become you know, get, get, get my act together enough to go to Stanford, get a college degree, do all that. So I wanted to do it, but I always knew it was a crappy profession. <laughs> I always knew, I always knew that you could put in 10 good years at university of Portland and they might decide to go to a different direction, you know? So I knew what I was getting into. Um, I went back to business school and for this, I tell young people all the time, because if you're struggling with what you want to be a coach and you're a young person, there's so much luck involved. There's no set plan. Um, I wanted to, I got into Stanford business school and I went back to business school. I got my master's after playing in Japan and learning the language and doing some work. And so I put polished up my, my, my application. So I looked, it looked interesting. I got into Stanford business school and for two years I did that and I wasn't that jazzed what really excited me was coaching. So when coach Montgomery called and I had the opportunity, I wanted to coach. So I bounced around a little bit. I sort of had opportunities uh, to do other stuff and was doing other stuff, but I, that was always there. And I'm so grateful that I, that I took that plunge. Um, I'm so grateful for the opportunity. Like as a former player to, you know, to go back to your alma mater, I mean, you can look at it in your own deal. Like if you, if someone offered came at you hard and offered you something, then maybe it changes the course, you know, but, or you, Doors open, doors close. 
So I'm very uh, quick to point out that I was not sure what I was going to do, and the job happened to open up at Stanford. Um, I, I, I told this story that I, I used to think I beat out Larry Kristoyak for the job because he had played for he had played for Montgomery at Montana. I played for Montgomery at Stanford, and I used to think I beat him out. But then I realized maybe he just turned it down. I didn't beat him out at all. I don't know. But he and I were the last two guys, and because it was my school, I think I, I was the Omar. But that he's done fine. So, but it, it, that that's how I bumped into. I fell into it. Well, you fell into a phenomenal program to coach with. Obviously, you played there at Stanford, and then you you coached there. Uh, my, my 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 first my first year at Stanford, 1998, we went to the Final Four. So that was the nail in the coffin in terms of what I was going to do. I was going to coach because we went to the Final Four. This is great. This is a pretty good gig. We lost a double overtime to Kentucky. Um, what year did you graduate? I was Gonzaga 02. 02. All right. So you knocked us off. You were in that group that knocked us off. In what year was that at Stanford? So that would have been uh, 99. I was at University of Washington as a sophomore. That's when I went. Okay, you missed that. The mega group were all buddies of mine. And so when Casey Calvary, Casey Calvary, and and Spinks just manhandled Madsen, just beat him up like a. Yeah, Casey Calvary was uh, the guy who obviously got the tip in against Florida, advanced them uh, to the Elite Eight. Richie Fromm, Matt Santangelo, Quentin Hall. Uh, but Mark Spink, yes, he was about 165 pounds, six eight ball of energy, and he got after it. He got after it. I remember, and and I remember, and and people talk about the Gonzaga, Gonzaga. You know, get the University of Portland. Everyone wants to talk about what you know. You got build Gonzaga. How you do it? Gonzaga is so special because of the continuity, you know, and the and the coaching continuity and the players. And to get over the hump, it took a special some special groups like that one and the one you were a part of. Um, and and it's. Uh, it's interesting to see, like, you really can't replicate that or plan that. You just recruit good guys and do a good job like they do. And I also think, not that you're asking, but I also think that Spokane is a special city. Like, it's a special city to support it. People don't appreciate it, you know. Like, it's, it's a good-sized city to really get behind it, but not so big like Portland where you got the Trailblazers, the Timbers, that are going to get Major League Baseball. There's just a lot going on that makes it different, so. Yeah, you're right in the fact that Spokane absolutely supports Gonzaga. And it's because you're right. There's not a major league franchise uh, that takes the the bulk of the attention in, in the advertising dollars and just the passion uh, for a successful program. Um, but I wanted to ask you about your time at University of Portland. Um, so you have a nice stint as, a, as an assistant at Stanford. You, you get to Final Four. You're with multiple – NBA draft picks. You finally get your chance at University of Portland, um, and you had a great, terrific ten-year run. But you have kind of the, the the shadow looming over the WCC and Gonzaga. When you look back, how much pride do you have in the fact that you guys were probably the third best program? And I, and I say this with a ton of respect, and hopefully you take it that same way. You guys were probably the third most successful program for a long stretch behind Gonzaga and St. Mary's. Right. I take a lot of pride in it, you know, and I also take a lot of lessons from it um, that, you know, I, f- I feel like we really moved the needle. Um, you know, we uh, had three 20 win. We averaged 20 win. We had 61 wins. One, win, one season was 19. One was 21 in three year, best three year stretch in school history. No one has ever been a head coach there and gone on to college coaching. 
in the modern history. I'm the first one. So it's, it, it's, it's a graveyard. It had been a graveyard. And it's, there's no reason. It's a good school. It's good, solid enough support. We moved the needle there. I felt like it was, it was good. Um, learned, got some great, you know, some special guys from the, the Northwest with, with Luke Sigma and Jared Stoll and uh, Nick Ravio and just the, um, and you mentioned when I first got there, we had Jeremiah Dominguez. I saw you talking about him, the Mr. Portland gym rat. You know, he's uh, but but this is a good. It was a good group of guys over the years, and um, and I felt good about what what the problem was and where I my short. What happened was we got to a point where we're finishing second and third. We lose to Patty Mills in the semifinals because I he couldn't really play. He'd just come back from injury, and I had you think about this as a player and coach and stuff that I had defensively TJ Campbell got in trouble and I still had him guard Patty Mills when Patty Mills, all he was doing was facilitating. I should have put just anybody on him. So TJ didn't get a foul. And then TJ got a foul and got in trouble. We lose to St. Mary's in the semis. And that's all the breakthrough we were looking for. We didn't get over that hump there. And then, and then we, then we um, took a dip down and the, the, the chemistry got off a little bit and we took a dip down and that's, that program, the goal for that that type of WCC program should be to stay in the top, to 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 be up close like St. Mary's always is, and they're kind of above that. Bro, you always have a chance. Nipping at Gonzaga's heels, and a bad year is third, fourth, maybe fifth. We then had a bad year of eighth, ninth, never tenth, you know. But we had some bad. We we struggled, had some struggle years, and they gave me some time to sort it out. And um, uh, you know, you know, we had some players coming. Uh, Bonton at Washington State was going to come from Portland. He was he was committed, um, uh, and uh, the big kid from uh, Cal uh, uh, from Australia we had coming. We had some guys coming. I felt like we could get back, but sort of my time had run out. And in this day and age in college athletics, they they you know decide to go go different direction and stuff. So, but I'm proud of it. You know, I'm I'm I am proud of it and I feel like I've learned it a lot and I got a lot of appreciation for the school and the opportunity and Portland. Yeah, I've always felt the same that that Portland uh the the Portland Pilot basketball program uh has an opportunity um because it's in a great city. The facilities are good and they've gotten better now with the practice facility. Um, and so th those, that couple of years stretch that you had, I, I really enjoyed watching those teams play. And I, I know uh, that's how we got connected with the broadcasting work that I do and, and watching you guys closely on a number of occasions. But you go from head coach at Portland. Now you're an assistant um, for an ACC program in Georgia Tech. How do you as a coach um, take that, that voice and the way you look at a game as a head coach for a number of years and then – are you are in a assistant coach position where you are fully in support of the program and the direction the coach wants to do. Um, but how do you balance that with maybe wanting to run your own program again at some point? Because knowing about you from other people, I know you're a competitor. Yeah. Um, no, exactly right. I, you know, it's um, coach Pastner's is a, the head coach, Josh Pastner, he's a tremendous worker, uh, very good uh, basketball mind, a tremendous experience. He's younger. You know, I'm 54. He's 40. He's over 40 now. He just turned 41, 42 maybe. And, but his amount of experience, because he started coaching AAU in Houston when he was in, in, in uh, before high school, in high school, and he's coaching at Arizona 
with Miles Simon and those guys, he was coaching and be, he was a walk-on, but he was coaching. And then he was at Memphis with uh, uh, Calipari and Calipari leaves. He becomes a head coach. He says it's because no one else wanted the job, but he's a head coach and he's get, he gets all this experience. So, so there's a lot of respect there for what he does. And I have learned a ton from him. Um, he's much, he's very good at focusing on the tasks that will get you to get, help you win like non like things that shouldn't bother you he's good at not fully he's really and you know i get excited about analytics or this or that and stuff and he's like okay well, well how do we change practice today and i'm aware of that kind of thinking but i don't always hold myself to it and a little more a little more curious about stuff and he's kind of driven and focused and he works his tail off he you know and so and i'm a worker i learned that about myself i've learned that as a assistant coach I, I work and I'm still working and I like working. And if you call it a workaholic, call it what it is, but you know, I'm going to, I'm going to grind. I'm going to do it. I'm a grinder. So as assistant being a grinder, I'll sweep the floor. I'll do whatever. There was nothing about being an assistant that I thought was beneath me. Um, I like it. I think I bring some to the table where the, the empathy, what people don't understand about a head coach is the number of decisions you have to make, take this recruit, schedule this game, um, run this play where you're only 55% sure that's the right decision, 60% sure. The number of decisions, that, how to discipline a guy. Do I discipline the guy? Does he have the character to overcome this? Do we cut bait? What do we do? The number of decisions you have that you have, you're 90% sure are so few and far between. And uh, Joel Sabatka, former Portland State uh, head coach, you know, now at Valley Catholic Athletic, with my assistant, he told me early on, he said, coach, there's just one of those decisions you have to make. And so having that empathy as a former head coach that, and, and, and letting it go and is really good. Um, in terms of things, doing things my way versus his way, like there's times where we're seeing eye to eye. A lot of times we talk and we move on. We, we see eye to eye and we, 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 we then are, we're all good. And there are times we see a different thing and come up with a better solution together. Like those times are cool when we talk it out, we come up with better than what either of us had. Then there's other times where we're not seeing eye to eye I, and we don't really come up with a better solution. We just go with his solution and he's really good at listening. He, I learned a lot about a lot of respect for how he listens. He doesn't argue, doesn't interrupt. He gives you full time. He also does a great job of not feeling like he has to, you have, he has to be right. He'll just kind of listen and stop talking. I mean, he'll just kind of uh, like it's over and you're, he's going with his way and that's kind of it. And in those times when it's happened, I would say more often than not, I've learned a ton, maybe all the way to the point of accepting the way he would do it is better than mine. So like if I had that drill in my arsenal, I'd cross it out and put his drill. So it's becoming a better coach, you know, and then you throw in the ACC, they've got some all right coaches in this league, you know, the, you know, and they got, they do, you know, I, uh, Roy, the guy at Duke's not bad. The guy, guy at North Carolina has been around a while. They, uh, 25,000 keep showing up to see the guy at Syracuse, you know? And so like, it, like, it's just off the charts. I do want to say that the WCC was very well coached, very well coached. And, and, but we held the game tighter because the type of kids we have, you could easily say we overcoached in the WCC, whether it was me or, or, or Kerry Keating or, you know, whoever it was, we might've overcoached. Gonzaga lets them play and has a nice scheme and focus offensively and defensively. The, the ACC is a little bit like that with the level of players. 
like you relate to and understand it more from an NBA perspective, guys that understand the game, you're teaching them how to play more. So that's helped my coaching as well. I think. Some awesome uh, nuggets of wisdom right there from co time and coaching uh, at a number of different levels and positions. Last question uh, before I let you go coach. And we really appreciate your time. The game of basketball has been really good to me, provided me experiences, uh, provided me uh, some great memories, some friendships. If you were to look back on your playing career and your coaching career, is there one memory that stands out uh, to you, whether as a player or a coach, and just makes you say, wow, that was amazing? Hmm. You know, there's a bunch. You know, the early ones, the state championship, you know, you know I follow all the – all the the Portland, uh, the, the I don't know, the NCAA violation for me to to mention the schools that former assistants that coach in Oregon and stuff, you know, and just those guys and the experience that high school coaches have, those were special. We won a California state championship my junior year, and and sometimes I wonder if I was hooked on coaching from that moment on, you know, being you know how it is being a part of those special teams, like like, you know, we just we just kept winning and we were a small little school and we kept winning and it was great. Then at Stanford, I, I was on my first my first team went from three and fifteen in Pac-10 to my last year fifteen and three to um, uh, being the first Stanford team to go to the NCAA tournament in forty-seven years as a player. So those special moments where you break through, and I felt like we did that, and we're up against did that with some special teams at Portland. But those are those special team moments where the guys are just everything's clicking. You know how they talk about on the on our boat when you're rowing and you get the flow, you know, and the boat just goes faster and it's just sort of the, the, and that's what it feels like where the team is just really clicking. And that's those, all those, all those moments, I can think of multiple ones, but that's what, that's what you're in pursuit of. I would agree. I've got some great memories as a player at, at, at many different levels and the best ones always seem to come back to team success. And that's what, one of the reasons I love the game of basketball so much. And I, I'm sure that it's the same with you. Well, coach, for the ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, we really appreciate your time. Uh, appreciate and respect all that you're doing with the All Vote, No Play initiative. And best of luck to you and Coach Passner and Georgia Tech next season. Really appreciate it. Fun to talk uh, and reminisce a little bit. And, uh, look forward to talking to you soon. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.